0: Um, I'd like to welcome everybody to this concluding plenary lecture from the America's Research Network Conference. Those of you who don't know who I am, hopefully you do, um, I'm Jonathan Bell. I'm the director of the Institute of the Americas and a professor of American history at UCL. Um, So I'd like to um, welcome you to the plenary and also thank you for coming to the conference on behalf of the Institute. Um, I'm absolutely delighted by how the conference has gone, I've attended some of it when I've been able to and I've been really very impressed by not only the quality of the talks that students and, and colleagues have been given, giving, but also um, the range of uh, research and the range of universities represented. So I'm absolutely delighted and I hope you've enjoyed the conference as much as I have. Um, I would also take this opportunity um, before we conclude the conference and uh, listen to to Francisco that I want to thank, on behalf of the Institute, Thomas and his team of graduate students who have done so much work to organise the conference. Um, There's been a real team of students who have been a credit to the Institute and to UCL and I'm absolutely delighted. So thank you very much. Um, Um, And and there will be a concluding reception at the end, so it will be nice for us all to mingle one last time before we, we head off in our separate directions. So without any further ado, I would like to introduce this evening's plenary speaker, and I'm delighted to say I'm hopefully one of the first people to be introducing him formally as Professor Francisco Penizza, um, from the Department of Government at the London School of Economics. Um, Francisco is an expert in democracy and human rights in Latin America. He works on populism and populist politics and the left broadly defined across the the Latin American region, Um, and he's here today to sort of put in perspective the recent past and Latin American politics in the recent past, reviewing the decade since 2005. Um, It was advertised as being whether it's a decade won or a decade lost, and I see we've got a new title for Um, us. uh, Still a
1: variation of it, yeah, um,
0: So which brings in a bit of uh, a bit of yeah. um, US cultural history yeah, yeah, yeah. in there as well. The times mm-hmm. there are changing. So thank yeah. you very much.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um, hello and uh, good evening. <clears throat> uh, thanks for, uh, to Thomas and the organizers to the conference for inviting me and to Jonathan for the introduction. Uh, there's a slight change in the title because I've, sometimes you have to kind of adapt the what you want to talk to the topic of the conference but I think that what I'm going to say very very much relates to what you have been discussing about power and change in the Americas in the modern world. Um, Let me start by saying the following Um, the 1980s was a remarkable decade in Latin America for more than one reason but basically for two fundamentally contradictory if you want uh, processes. One was the massive process of transition to democracy that happened in the region and the second one was the great debt crisis of the 1980s that was triggered by the Mexican default of 1982 Uh, and I said it's remarkable because it is effectively remarkable that two so different processes came together in the same decade but it is perhaps not so remarkable because it Shows that in society, like in our personal life, not always good things come together. We have a very positive <clears throat> um, process that was democratic, another was very negative, that was uh, the debt crisis. But <clears throat> occasionally, maybe perhaps not too often, in society, in our, our own personal life, there are periods in time in which effectively all good things seem to come together. And one of these periods in contemporary Latin American history uh, has been the recent decade that with a little bit of historic license, I will broadly put it between 2004 and 2014 or 2005 and 2014. Um. And I'll try to understand a bit uh, about what happened in this decade, and I will... Take my clue from um, politicians. Um, I think the, the term the Decada Granada was first, as far as I know, uh, trademarked by Christina Kirchner. Uh, but of course, um, Christina was not so much talking about the lost decade of the 1980s, the lost decade for economic development, but the more recent 90s decade that uh, ended in a bit longer in 2002 with with, with the great collapse of the Argentine economy and the subsequent uh, recovery under Nestor and then under Cristina from 2003 to 2013. But but it's remarkable that with slightly different emphasis in this Decada Ganada, this one decade, has been adopted as a political sort of narrative by many governments of the region. I have... On YouTube, I hope it will work because it's quite good to show you about the election in Brazil. Hope it is not too slow to load. And, mm, that's the problem when you, you want to show. Let's hope it works. It's not too bad. Do um, you think it will? It's taking its time. Okay. It's oh, there it goes. There is it coming slowly. It's not super fast for a politician. <laughs> okay, uh, it's, it's worse from it. I promise, it's worse. This is from Binman's electoral oh. campaign last year. Viajava de avião. No seu fim, ele podia estudar na universidade. Os mais novos, talvez nem se lembrem, mas quem viveu os governos lucanos não quer trocar os sonhos de hoje pelos pesadelos de ontem. Mudar por mudar não significa que a sua vida vai melhorar. O Brasil não pode perder o mundo. I was in... uma coisa bonita na vida okay. é a gente querer sempre mais eu sinto isso de uma muito ok, sinto como todos vocês. okay. No. Um, that give you a flavour of what has been the political campaign of most uh, governments in the region the last couple of years was, I was in Dubai I am from Uruguay actually uh, during uh, the quite recent campaign in twenty fourteen and Again, the Frente Amplio Tabari Vásquez was campaigning broadly on the same, the same uh, narrative, uh, and his slogan was, we are doing great, we are, vamos bien, He uh, was criticized for complacency. But, so this variation of the Decada de Granada has been the standard political narrative. <clears throat> um, so what I'm going to do today is first examining whether effectively this was a Decada de Granada. Second, if it was, has come to an end, and third, what are the likely uh, consequences if it is effectively come to an end? Um, I, may, I have chosen the slogans. Uh, and let me sort of go first to the kind of narrative this underlies this de Nada, uh, political slogan, and then a little bit to the figures and the evidence for that. Um, so this is in six bullet points what the Decada Ganada means. Uh, first, the rejection of neoliberalism of the neoliberals of the 1990s, or as Rafael Correa likes to say, the long neoliberal night. Second, the rise of the pink tide of left and left and center governments. Third, the commodity boom. Fourth, a decade of high economic growth. Fifth, a decade of high social progress, and six, a decline of U.S. influence and the rise of China. Now, you could, this, you can say, well, this is not necessarily all good things. If you think that a free market economy is a good thing, you, you may think that that's not a good thing. If you are not left of center or left wing, you don't think very much about the pink tie, and so on and so forth. But this is how it was presented. Uh, this is the kind of common narrative of this mainly left and left-on-center uh, government that has been in office in Latin America during this period. You may have a different view, but this is how it was presented. This, it is, in a certain way, a quite objective description of what happened in this decade. So this is the narrative. What is behind the narrative? What are the numbers, the figures, the analysis that is behind this narrative? Uh, let's start by the driver of the decathlon, which is... Um, Economic growth, no doubt, and here you have um, quite an interesting evidence of uh, much higher economic growth than <coughs> in the 1980s and 90s. Here you have the graph between the 1980s um, and the late uh, the 2010s. Um, you have the big Decada partida here, and then you have the 1990s characterized by very high levels of economic volatilities, up and down. And, quite mediocre economic growth, and then you have the great upset that actually started a little bit before 2004 or 2005, started in 2002. It goes right up. It has a very sharp but very uh, sort of narrow dip. It's effectively only one or two years, and then it's in recovery, and then from 2010, it begins to slow down again. I'm going to go back a little bit in detail about that later, but if you compare uh, the average economic growth of, of 2012, 2013, 4% is much higher than the previous 20 years. So there is a Catalan apparent there. More on that later. Um, and of course, um, this, as you could expect, has been uh, accompanied by rising living standards. Perhaps the best indicator of rising living standards is GDP per capita rather than GDP. Growth and here again you have um, quite significant GDP per capita growth 205, 206, 207, a slowdown in the two years of the Great Depression, and then rising 2010 to 11, and then a sort of decline in the rate of growth from 2012 onwards. But again, Quite significant rising labor standard. But of course, um, the rising labor standard is not only the result of increase in wealth, increase in economic growth, but also in how it is redistributed. And this, in this um, sort of the rising economic growth, uh, sort of channels into rising labor standard by the creation of jobs, uh, but also how this e- growth is redistributed is quite significant. And again, here, we have quite interesting figures. Um, The distribution is largely, not only, but largely the role of the state. And what we have in these sort of years of economic growth has been uh, also accompanied by a quite significant increase in social spending that went on for 36% in the 1990s, 66% of total public spending of GDP, to 60% of total uh, public spending in 2013, and from uh, something like uh, 13% of GDP to nearly 20% of GDP. So, a steady rise in um, public, in social spending, which actually, and against what many people believe, uh, the 1990s was not a decade of cutting public spending, it was a decade of, of some growth in public spending. but it grows much, much quicker from 2002 to the present. Um, What happened to this public social spending? Has it been effective? What has been been the consequence of that? Um, Well, a key aspect of this uh, social spending has been the program of conditional cost transfer. You remember Lula da Silva was the one that made sort of the... So it started much early, started in 1990. It was the flagship of Lula's first election. And here you have how it effectively has been to target extreme poverty and, uh, and, uh, and poverty, etc. Uh, so, of course, you have quite significant difference among the country, but uh, if you look at sort of country like Brazil, more than 50% of the people that live in extreme poverty... Uh, are benefit from the Bolsa Familia, something like 12 million families, I think, in Brazil. Uh, At the peak in Europe, like 80%, not only of the extreme poor, but those who are not extreme poor have been benefit from this. So it's an extraordinarily high level of of effectiveness of this program. And this, as you could expect, uh, reflects in falling poverty and extreme poverty or indigenous in the region from the peak of four, nearly 50% in 1990 at the end of the Decada Perdida to something like 28% in 2014. In, in That's in relative numbers here you have in millions of people uh, compared to uh, 202, 225 million people poor, now 166 million, so big, big, four in Poverty and extreme poverty. What is even more remarkable, given the global trends toward higher inequality, is that uh, inequality also has been following. And inequality, on sort of first, is quite sticky. It takes m- much longer uh, time periods to to come down. And also, the global forces, the forces of globalisation, which Latin America is part, have tended to increase inequality uh, everywhere in the world except in Latin America. So this is, makes it still even more more remarkable. So you have a fall of 10 points in the Gini coefficient, and if you look at the figures there, uh, clearly the people at the bottom of the social pyramid have benefited from this period of high economic growth much, much more than people are at the top. This is... Remarkable. this is not explained by the commodity boom, this is not explained by uh, sort of random question, this is effectively the result of uh, government action mostly, also there are other market factors that influence that as well. And the counterpart is a sort of the great narrative of the new middle class in Latin America um, which in, according to some estimates will become the larger social group with within the next year or so in the region. And if you go to Latin America, you see the evidence on that. There is a big debate. I'm not going to enter what is meant by the middle class. If middle class is only to be measured by rising income, or it has to do a component of citizenship, or whatever, this is another debate, just sort of a very narrow definition of middle class in terms of rising uh, income and rising power of consumption, basically, if you want to say that. And so <clears throat> Latin America, basically the, the countries of Latin America have become largely middle income, a few of them high income, Uruguay and Chile, high income countries, and middle class society. So we have the economy, we have society, what happened to politics. Again, of course the big narrative was the rise of the left and the center left and this is uh, a sort of division, uh, that's my division of, uh, of the pink tide. and not entering there in the varieties of the left debate. Um, a couple of things that are interesting from that, um, of course, the, the rise of the pink tide didn't happen everywhere in Latin America. Um, it happened predominantly in South America rather than in Central America. And, of course, Mexico has never had a, a left-of-center government in the, in, in the modern times. Um, so you, you have uh, about two-thirds of the population of Latin, of Latin America on the left-of-center government. This, of course, Brazil, like in any kind of stats about Latin America, has a very, very heavy weight in the, in the stats. Of course, uh, as you know, Dima Rousseff very narrowly uh, won the election uh, last year. If he had lost the election, the stats would have been looked quite different. But Again, uh, the pink tide is not the, the whole story, but is a large part of the story. Um, but I think what is more remarkable rather than this kind of discussion about the left and varieties of the left is how much more stable Latin America has become in the 2020 10s compared to even to previous democratic years. So we are not talking about military coups or coups, we are talking about political stability in the broader sense of the, of the term. And if you look at that, also they haven't been traditional sort of, I think the old-fashioned military coups in Latin America are largely, I think of the past, doesn't mean that the region has been that stable in the last uh, 20 or 30 years or so. And as recently, as the early 2000s, you have this wave of mass popular protest uh, that forced the resignation of presidents in a number of countries in the region, and you have in Argentina six presidents in two or one, in, in less than six months. In Ecuador, again, one military coup and five presidents. In the early 2000s, Bolivia, at the height of the crisis, three presidents. Another manifestation like the failed civic military coup in Venezuela. Um, and if you go back in the 1990s, where the region was still was was already democratic, you have from uh, the 1980s until uh, the 2000s the something like 15 presidents that couldn't end their constitutional mandate either because they were impeached, impeached or thrown out of office uh, by popular protests, etc. And if you make the contrast uh, with, with what happened in the last decade or so, is quite remarkable. Um, never before has, particularly South America, had such a large number of governments in office for such a long duration of time. And there you have a few of them. Coincidentally, they're all left of center, but it's not the point I'm trying to make. You have four PT administrations in Brazil, three, for example, governments in Uruguay, two countries that have very competitive party systems that are not kind of populist one-party state, Argentina, which is also quite a pluralist democracy, in spite of what many people think, three K governments, uh, and then uh, in Bolivia, in Ecuador and Venezuela, again, long periods of government by mass, by Korea or by, by chavismo. Of course, there's no total uh, sort of stability, not total. Uh, of course, we have the, uh, the position of Celaya in Honduras in 2009 and Luo more recently in 2012, but the contrast in terms of stability is quite remarkable. Um, but I guess if we are looking at Teca Ganada, we have also to look at questions of democracy, uh, not only about where it's left or right, whether it's stable, but where these are sort of the, sort of their democratic gains. Um, and I think there are many arguments that's seen that to be made about an expansion of democratic rights. Um, of course, neat sort of periodization are, are, are tricky. Some of the games started earlier, but they continue in the 2000, particularly socioeconomic inclusion. We have seen that um, in, in, in the socioeconomic figures. Um, a renewed emphasis in post transitional justice for the legacy of human rights of the 1970s the new Agenda of Rights, or, or, almost everywhere in Latin America is remarkable in a region that is culturally, in many ways, very conservative, with a very heavy influence of the Catholic Church, how quickly and how widespread has been the adoption of the new Agenda of Rights, like gay marriage, abortion, even in Chile, etc. And some new forms of popular participation, <laughs> councils, recall referendums, etc., have not as widespread as you would think so but some there and of course something that again this started more in the 1990s but has a remarkable uh, yeah, sort of in, um, emphasis in particular in Bolivia uh, in the 2000 the recognition of indigenous agencies, indigenous nationalities and plurinational states so in that an expansion of democratic rights. Uh, so sort of at the Top end of the, of the, this decade, 2014, uh, this was the Freedom House map of freedom in the world, uh, and as you can see there, Latin America is the second most democratic uh, region in the world after Western Europe, which is an incredible turnaround uh, from what Latin America was in the past. And this is the um, Last but not least, what happened internationally in, in this decade? Uh, well, the decade started by the demise of the free trade area of America. in the Americas in the Summit of America in Mar del Plata in 2005, which is, was perhaps the, the last phase of the sort of reaction against neoliberalism, and a remarkable new set of new regional integration institutions, the most important perhaps UNASUR, but also ALBA, and also more recent CELAC, among others. Uh, And this was a company by a decline in U.S. influence in the world. And you can measure it in many, many ways, commercially, politically. just mention it, just to give a sort of snapshot of, in terms of the summits of America, you have 205. Bush was basically humiliated by and Kirchner in Mar del Plata. After Bush, of course, comes uh, Obama. And he goes to Port Spain, there was a great hope, famous picture in which uh, Chavez gives uh, Obama a copy of the Open Veins of Latin America by Galeano, a great expectation. But this came quite quickly followed by disappointment because, largely because of the Cuban question, of course, you know the recent development. Uh, and if any body remember the following summit of America, it happened in Cartagena the Indias in 2012. Uh, in which was a complete sort of washdown. There was no communique. Obama was completely isolated there. Of course, this doesn't measure the whole sort of paraphernalia or different aspects of U.S. influence. I don't think that, you know, the the fact that Obama uh, was isolated in Cartagena means that the U.S. was isolated in Latin America. Not like that, but it's just a question. And what you have, I think, quite remarkable, quite important in, in, in this decade was the rise of sort of international prominence of two leaders, very different leaders, uh, Chavez and Lula, that I don't think that never before in the modern era you have two Latin American leaders that have such a high international profile and again sort of marking the entrance of Latin America as a kind of much more uh, sort of multilateral uh, international environment. And this was followed much more sort of broader with the rise of China. Uh, with a, the G20 which you have Brazil, Argentina, Mexico with the South-South diplomacy and South-South trade particularly from Brazil and so, all this gave Latin America much higher uh, political autonomy from the US and financial autonomy from the international financial institutions the IMF and the World Bank. So all this was compounded for the decada ganada. Well In society, like in our personal life, uh, not always good things come together, and we have to try to enjoy what they last. So, what has happened has um, the Granada come to an end? Uh, Well, I hope this is quicker. Um, What is remarkable how things how. Quickly, things change in politics. I'm only going to show this. Anti-government protesters in Rio de Janeiro on Sunday kick off a wave of nationwide demonstrations against President Dilma Rousseff. A stalling economy and unpopular measures to reduce unemployment are among her problems. But what angers people the most is a scandal at state-run oil company Petrobras. Friday, Brazil's Supreme Court announced that all but one member of Rousseff's ruling coalition are under investigation for allegedly receiving kickbacks from overpriced contracts with Petrobras. The protest could deepen a political crisis. Okay, you know what it is. Uh, what is remarkable how quickly things can turn politically on um, the contrast between the two um, the, the, the two uh, let's see if I can do that. Uh, this is just try again. Um, this is about Christina and the demonstration for the death of Nisman, the prosecutor are still part what Never mind. You get the flavor about that. So, is that it? Is that not quite a one decade? Um, let's have a look at that. Um, I mentioned the very high levels of economic growth, and I think there is quite there is a, no doubt that uh, the party, the economic party, is over. Off, it's not over. It's one of these dumb academic parties in which you have wa- warm white wine and peanuts to eat. Uh, and effectively, uh, Latin America uh, growth rate has been falling since 2011. If you. Comp- add to that the 2008 and 2009, in which they they suffered the impact of of the Great Recession, Uh, the catagonal economic was likely just no more than half a decade from 2004 to 2008. Um, And what also is important, and I think this is the most important, um, even in the years of high economic growth, uh, productivity growth, which is a driver of economic development has been extremely low, 1% uh, per per year, it is very, very little in terms of real economic growth. And what explains it? it, There was no rise in productivity. What explained the economic growth of this half decade? Basically three factors. Uh, The main one was growth in employment, that is the main supply factor in the region. The second, commodity prices, which was the main the Demand factors that push economic growth, and the third, cheap international interest rate that favor a credit boom. None of these three factors are, are, are there anymore or can continue growth. They cannot be, um, show some figures, cannot be further growth in, in, in employment, actually declining. You know what is happening to commodity prices, and uh, international interest rates will be sometime in the up, even if they are still very, very low. Um, So basically, uh, according you can look at the IMF, Regional Economic Outlook, you can look at the International Development Bank, you can look at the Economic Commission for for Latin America and Caribbean, they have slight different figures, but the common um, conclusion is that uh, for some years to come, uh, the rate of economic growth in Latin America is going to be much, much lower than it has been during the Decada Ganada. And to compound that, uh, there is no even the possibility of kind of the fiscal stimulus that most countries apply in 2008 and 2009 to countervile, uh, countervile the, 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 the international economic recession. And You have there the indicator of how close uh, economic growth is dependent on commodity prices. Uh, these are the projection for economic growth. Uh, this starts in 2011. So if you, um, you sort of in the previous year, they, uh, um, in the previous year it has been like this. I, it has come down, as I said, from 2011, and the projection for uh, the next four or five years are quite moderate economic growth. It's not a recession, but quite moderate economic growth. Um, public spending uh, of revenues, public spending as economic growth depending on commodity revenues, much more in some countries than others, much more in Venezuela than in other countries. Uh, And the great sort of spurge in public, in in social spending is clearly not sustainable. Look at how the the gap between um, GDP growth and, and social spending is, Growing year after year. So, this is um, what is happening in the economy. And so, this has given way of a new narrative, or you want a counter narrative to the Granada, which I have named the Decada Perdida narrative. And this is basically uh, when you, I think, a good source is the Financial time because it's such a sort of the voice of economic orthodoxy, if you want, and goes along these lines, also with, with slight variation. Um, effectively, uh, during the Decada Granada the countries of Latin America benefit from the commodity boom and cheap trade, and this uh, is take advantage of globalization uh, without having to pay the cost or having to subject to the normal economic discipline that all uh, reasonable managed economies have to subject that, and if you want to example look at some of the worst performing countries, Argentina, Brazil, and Venezuela, they are all blaming external factors, but effectively they are the own the doers of their own predicament. And The counterfactual according to this story uh, is the countries of the Alianza Pacifico, um, Chile, Colombia, and Peru. Uh, they all benefit from the commodity boom, but they are much better managed. So you have a new kind of Narrative which is Alianza Pacifico, good, Mercosur, bad. What happened to social progress? Is there a counter narrative to social progress? Well, yes, and there are some figures there. Uh, first, well, of course, it, the economic uh, improvement in, in the lives of the people, in welfare, etc., it didn't sort of lift everybody out of, of poverty, about 28% of the people in Latin America are still living under the poverty line in spite of social spending and economic growth. Uh, Latin America inequality has fallen but Latin America is still the most unequal region in the world, the most equal country in Latin America which is more unequal than the most unequal country in Europe which is Portugal. Uh, Latin America has the higher rate of homicide per capita in the world which is a symptom of much deeper pathologies that you all know and associated to um, many, many serious social problems. And in an era in which the knowledge economy is supposed to be the road to development, yes, there has been an increase in spending on education, but relatively little to show. And evidence there, there are the PISA international scores in which the seven countries that participate in Latin America are among the bottom 14 of 66 countries, countries are part of the OECD. So this is the kind of counter-narrative to social progress to the Decada de Granada. And if you look a little bit in the future, uh, this, even these sort of uh, impressive unlimited social gains are in the balance. I mentioned that the social gains were the result of economic growth, that translated in higher employment and higher social expenditure. But already this is uh, stalling um, in 2013 and 2014, there has been a slight rise in extreme poverty, very small, I mentioned, but quite, quite, quite uh, uh, but a slight rise. Um, um, the sort of, the main driver of economic growth, the main driver of social improvement, which the rise in employment, again, has been falling over the past two years. And to give you an idea, for every tenth of percentage point that the growth of growth rate declines, about one hundred thousand jobs fail to be created, and uh, n- maybe not all these one hundred thousand will fall uh, below the poverty line. Many of them may be middle class and have some savings, but a lot of them will fall and it's particularly important uh, urban unemployment uh, young urban, uh, urban unemployment uh, is about forty percent of uh, unemployed are young people. So the situation is particularly difficult for young people. And here you have uh, faults in the urban unemployment to population rate. Um, so we have, again, this new uh, counter-social narrative about Partida. Uh, Latin America has been unable to take advantage of a decade of sustained economic growth to transform its economy. It is squeezed to the limit what work, mainly oil, but it did not open other avenues to diversify production and create employment for oil dependent countries. The prospects are dramatic. And this is a statement by Elizabeth Tenoco, who is the International Labor Organization Director for Latin America and the Caribbean. If she's right or no, it's a different question, because one thing that Latin America did is create employment, but not enough quality employment. Maybe. Um, what happened to the political narrative of Teca de Ganada? Well, the question here, I'll set up and show you the, the map of, of Freedom House and uh, the second most democratic region in the world. Um, it, it's quite interesting. In, in the January 2015 issue of the Journal of Democracy, uh, there is a evaluation of the third, third wave of democratization. and the article on Latin America, uh, by Manuel and Pérez Mignan, This is the, the kind of headline of their article. Effectively, uh, rather than being as much sort of um, China being the second most democratic country in the region in the world is this mismatch of democratic erosion, stagnation, and progress. And only three countries are regarded by them as really high quality democracy. You want to know what they, how they classify the country. This is their classification. Uh, the usual suspect in this kind of surveys are uh, uh, Bolivia, Ecuador, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, democratic erosion. I, I have many problems with this classification, just for illustration how they show it. Um, so lastly, what happened to regional integration? Well, yeah, there have been a lot of new integration, thing, but very little to show, at least in terms of commercial integration. You can say, well, integration is more than trade. Integration is political, and I think there have been genuine advances in political integration, particularly in Azure. but in terms of economic integration, the results have been Really disappointed. Latin America is basically the less economically integrated region in the world. So uh, the times are changing. I said, well, if we have this balance of the Decada Granada, like the two countries. What are the prospects for the future? Um, the main thing that you know, there is a consensus for what is worth the consensus of the economists uh, the current economic slowdown is likely to be more gradual but longer-lasting than the 2008 one, So it's not the question that Latin America will plunge into a big depression or crisis. It's just facing a relatively long period of very low or quite mediocre economic growth. Um, of course, there are uh, regional and country differences that you can look at the stats there. Uh, in the short term, uh, in the last Year or the last year. Uh, it hasn't much to do with left or right. It hasn't much to do with Alianza Pacifico or Mercosur. It has more to do with the different countries integrated to different international trade circuits. Or to put it slightly different, countries of Central America, to certain Mexico integrated to the U.S. As the U.S. is having a recovery of that kind, and they export mainly sort of semi-industrialized goods, maquila, et etc., etc. They they are doing better than the countries of South America that are mainly commodity exporters to China with a slowdown in China. Um, One thing is quite interesting is that, in spite of this sort of stalling of social progress, still the social figures are pretty good and have not been translated in significant losses. Actually, in the last year, stats are are available. Um, Unemployment still is very low. Uh, Real wages continue to go out up, and the minimum wage continues to go up. Is this sustainable not? Of course, not in the long term. Um, just a footnote on the Alianza Pacifico, good, Mercosur, bad uh, uh, narrative. Um, the interesting thing is that um, the, the largest downward revision for economic growth in 2013 are Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Peru, and Venezuela. So uh, two Mercosur countries, two Alianza Pacifico countries are, Venezuela, well Venezuela is Mercosur as well, but it's a country very different. So this kind of counter-narrative you have also to take them with with great kind of caution. And again, as I mentioned, Central America is doing better than South America, and this is for the reason I explained are much more integrated to the U.S. market. Um, so what about um, the times are changing? In fact, if you look at um, Freedom House, and I'm not going to, because the internet is is so slow now, Um, there is a much better um, index, which is the the Democracy Net uh, survey, which is a survey of of experts. There is no evidence, uh, according to many indicators, Democracy Net measures participatory democracy, measures liberal democracy, measures equalitarian democracy, and all of that, there is no evidence, or a decline in democracy or stagnation is pretty robust. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you look at the opinion of the people of Latin America, again, uh, Latino barometer, there is no evidence of erosion of citizen support to democracy. So I question the, the sort of Decada ganada" narrative, I'm questioning now the Decada Perdida narrative as well. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean that there are no problems of democracy in the region. There are problems of democracy everywhere. I think these are particularly Latin American problems, but they are not equal in any country, and not affect any country equally. Um, so, um, what happened in terms of the future, politics is the most difficult to predict, and anything that you predict about politics, you are most likely to be wrong. And for what is worse, these are some of what, what I think is going to happen in the, in the next year. The first thing I want to, to, to mention, that this kind of Almost one billion uh, Latin American cities that were lifted out of poverty are uh, largely—you uh, would say it because coincident, because of the commodity boom—but largely under left-of-center governments are uh, are a very strong social basis support. And you have to—I mean, social basis is different from public opinion. Public opinion fluctuates quite considerably. Social basis are much more resilient because many of them are organized politically. They have not only distribution, but they have recognition, etc. And I think they, are, um, they can be quite resilient to economic fluctuation. Even if they, some of the countries have the worst economic figure, Venezuela and Argentina, uh, you would say that, you know, Chavismo and Quixarismo would be completely discrete. They are not. They still have a very strong... Popular base of support that will be resilient. And if you look at the past of the history of Latin America, you look at the history of Peronismo, for in Argentina, uh, Peronismo went through all kinds of economic crises and maintained its, its social base for uh, over a fift- 50 years. But it, it is clear uh, that uh, incumbents uh, that benefit from the Decada de Ganada are facing crises of very different kind and intensity in several countries of the region, both from the left and from the right. Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Mexico, and Venezuela, we can talk about the different, uh, uh, different uh, crises. So basically what I think has happened is that I don't think the, the, the pink tide is going to disappear into sort of a new wave of right-wing uh, politics, but uh, clearly Argentina and Venezuela, they, they face quite important political challenges in the election, the presidential election in Argentina, the congressional election in Venezuela, and uh, don't think that uh, Dilma Rousseff will be impeached or forced to resign. is certainly becoming in crisis, and you can even question what extent you can call it a left wing government. But the left remains quite strong in other countries. So to conclude the next decade, what I think is going on. Um, I think if we look at the economics or the economy, I don't think that there's too much of a ganada economically. Yes, there has been economic growth. But as I show, uh, the sort of the main driver of, of development rather than growth, which is productivity, has been very, very low. And it seemed to me that the, the model that underpin economic growth in the ganada a model based on high public spending, increasing domestic consumption, low productivity, and commodity-dependent is unsustainable, and is not desirable. And so basically, I think Latin America needs urgently to find a new post-commodity boom economic model based on higher domestic savings and investment, uh, economic redistribution, which I said is still very much on the agenda, a capable state, a new forms of regional and international integration that I show they have been very, not very effective and basically leading to uh, productivity and innovation to be the drivers of economic development. Um, what about social progress? Yes, social progress have stalled over the past two or three years. It's not going to progress very much. All indicators show that to, to make progress in social, in, in social indicators, you need to have a growth of average growth for, in, for Latin America of over 3% per year. And in the next few years, I don't think it will reach 3%, but uh, they are not going to be wiped out. It's not that you, you know, the, the people that were left out of poverty or the middle class will be submerged into a new uh, sort of era of poverty. I don't think it's going to happen like, like that. Um, and basically, I think in political scenario, uh, what I, we are going to see in the next uh, few years is a, a more fragmented political region, I think, in terms of left, varieties of the left, uh, center rights, etc., rather than. The two left, or the new ties on counter um, A couple of things that I haven't been had the time to develop up, and they been interesting for the Q and As. Uh, I mentioned a uh, port of Spain, I mentioned Cartagena. Of course, the third summit is Panama, and I think that was a remarkable summit because, for me, that was the end of the Cold War in Latin America, uh, and this is said to create. a... a Huge changes, I think, in the political landscape of the region, together with the crisis of Venezuela. Um, and of course, the other question is the peace process in Colombia. Again, in the same uh, in the same direction. Huge changes in Latin America. I didn't have the time to look at that. Um, and my last question, would, in terms of Latin America, I mentioned Chavez and Lula, two sort of, uh, sort of high-profile. Latin American leaders, and what has been interesting, sort of, it's interesting, the one in, in after you know Lula stepped down and out how uh, it seemed to be a vacuum of leadership in Latin America. You cannot see any sort of Latin American leader that would step up and, and raise the profile of Latin American interest. It would be interesting to see what happened, what new in terms of country because Dilma has. Has a much lower international profile. Is Brazil going to assume this leadership with the current problems of Lima? I don't think so. All the big countries of Latin America, Mexico, Argentina, have very serious problems. There is a vacuum of leadership there that is quite worrying for me. I think that's what I wanted to say. Thank you very much.